Hi, you're listening to the RVC Podcast, a ministry of River Valley Church in Fresno, California. To turn your Bibles to the book of James, uh, go almost to the map section and then make a left-hand turn and you'll find James. You get to Revelation and then you keep going and you'll find the book of James chapter 5. We're going to do a short series as we begin this new year called Fervent. And there's a promise that we find in the book of James, chapter 5, about how God moves in answer to prayer. And uh, as we closed out 2019, last Sunday we had a great service, and we looked at a great promise that God has given to us in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, about how God is able to do far greater than we could ever imagine or think or offer as a prayer, that God has the ability to do way beyond what we could ever think or imagine. And uh, as I head into 2020, and I look at the landscape of my life, my own journey, the landscape of RBC, and what our families are experiencing, and what our young people are experiencing, man, I wanna I wanna set uh, my 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 spiritual tone, if you would, in 2020 to be more reliant upon God than I ever have been, uh, more expectant that God wants to move in answer to uh, faith-filled prayers. And, and, and really to see God move in a mighty way. James gives us this, this incredible promise. In fact, it's chapter 5, and I want you to uh, read along with me. Beginning in verse 13, James says this, Is anyone among you suffering? Let them pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let them sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the leaders or the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he had great power, excuse me, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. This is an incredible little passage or promise. And we went through the book of James uh, over uh, the last year in 2019. But I really wanted to, to kind of set the tone, I guess, for my family, for your family, for your personal life, my life as well, and, and especially for the, the life of RBC, that we would head into this year with that kind of heart that says, God, I want to, I want to press into everything that you have for me and for our church family. This idea of fervent, it, it means to, to have or display a passionate intensity. There's power in prayer, according to James, that calls upon God to do the impossible. Another way of saying verse 16 is the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. This idea of being a fervent prayer as a believer, it's this concept of having a deep, focused, passionately crying out to God because you know that God is the only one who has the answers for what you need. He's the only one that can bring change. Perhaps this is what Jesus was referring to when he talked about that if you and I have faith that we can, and do not doubt, he says, you can uh, say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea. Now, before we, you know, get uh, into this, the, the notion of like, 
This isn't a blab it and grab it kind of theology. This isn't a name it and claim it kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like, I grew up in the 80s. I grew up in the, I did grow up in the 80s. I was born in 1970, so that makes me really old this year. And, uh, but when I became a Christian, there was a kind of a movement, you know, kind of the, the, uh, the name it and claim it, you know, movement or, or um, you know, this idea of, of you know, uh, exercising faith. I remember seeing as a new Christian having my Bible out and seeing this guy on TV, on TBN, and he said, he said, you know, the reason why I have a Rolls Royce and I have all these diamonds on my fingers, he was a pastor, and he says, uh, uh, it's because you're stealing from your church? No, his answer was, because uh, I told my father I want some diamonds. And I was just like going, okay, I don't see that in the Bible anywhere, but what I do find in the Bible is that God calls you and I to trust in him, to pray prayers that are according to his will and promises we find in his word, and that God promises to move in answer to those prayers. At some point in this series, we'll deal with why some prayers go unanswered or why they don't get answered in the way that we hope or anticipate. Nonetheless, these verses, though they might be taken by some crazy preachers, they still belong to the family of God. They still belong to what God has given you and I, the ability to say, God, I want to trust you. I want to have an earnest, fervent belief in prayer life that does see God move. When you read all of Scripture and you look at verses that talk about prayer, we're going to come to one conclusion, and it's this. Prayer changes things. Or more uh, accurately, prayer, it, it calls upon the God who changes things in our lives when we pray. There's no substitute for prayer. There's nothing that you and I could do that would replace this ability to call upon God and for God to move in answer to prayer. Here's some, some questions to kind of process in your own personal life. Like, what do you believe prayer can really accomplish? What do you believe about your life that, that would be different if you had a fervent, regular, consistent life of prayer with God? More importantly, what does the Bible say about it? The Bible tells us that prayer is the great privilege of a follower of Jesus to come before our great God, who's the provider, the scripture says, the sustainer of our lives, and to pour out our hearts to him and to receive from him through this incredible avenue of prayer. John Wesley said back in the 1700s, God does nothing except in response to believing prayer. Do you believe that? That God actually, there are some things that God chooses to not do unless a child of God is calling upon him to do that. God moves in answer to prayer. James tells us that, that you have not because you ask not in chapter 4 of the book of James. The great tragedy of life is not unanswered prayers, but we would say is unoffered prayers before God. James brings up the, the model of, of Elijah as being the model of a fervent prayer that was answered by God in 1 Kings chapter 17 and 18 is what James is making reference to. It's true that what Elijah experienced, the statement that, that uh, God can do in a moment of prayer what you and I cannot achieve in a lifetime of our own personal efforts and trying. As we closed out last week, 2019, the challenge was to have that 
that, that mindset that, that Paul lays before the church. As he says, I'm praying that you would be filled with strength, right? You have the understanding to, to comprehend with all of God's people this great love and how wide and deep and far that, that you know, it's beyond our ability to comprehend. And, and really to, to set our lives as in 2020 to be a year of really relying upon God, expecting from God, hope that God would move in our lives. And as we, as we make a commitment really to seek God like we never have. And Paul closes out with this doxology. He says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. He points them to God, letting them know that God cares, God is able, God is willing to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or imagine in our lives, for our lives personally, through our lives, in answer to fervent, expecting, consistent prayer. One thing that I, I think I realize is that a lot of times, my prayers reflect that I actually have a very small view of God. Do you pray like I pray sometimes? I pray about things that I think that I also can help accomplish. You know what I mean? It's like, like I can see it happening, so I'm going to go ahead and pray that one. Rather than going, you know, Lord, what's the worst thing that can happen? You choose to be sovereign over my life and not allow that thing to come because you know best. But to actually say, God, I, I really want to pray things that are beyond my ability to affect change. I think that all of us have requests, prayers, situations in our lives right now that without God's intervention, man, it's going to be left kind of a mess. My view, your view of God might be too small. What is prayer? Prayer is communing with God. Prayer is about a relationship. You talk about prayer, prayer is simply talking to the God who, if you've committed your heart to him, you've surrendered your life to him, you've repented of your sins. The Bible says that God has made you a new person from the inside out. The Bible says that he's adopted you into his family, and now he gives you and I, invites you and I into his presence that we might bring praise to him, that we might bring thanksgiving to him, that we might bring requests to him, that we might bring intercessions for other people or on other people's behalf before him. When we read about in the book of Acts, if you read through, if you're, if you're following along with us, you know, we have a, a two-year Bible reading plan that's on our app, it's on our website, it's also out at our Connection Center, a hard copy of it. But you'll get to the book of Acts, and what you'll find is that uh, the, it's the beginning of the church, the church is born out of a prayer meeting, and you see through the, the sort of the narrative of the church growing and expanding, the gospel being preached to the nations, you'll see that all of it was accomplished by God through fervently praying Christians and believers. All the big moves of God we see in the book of Acts were all undergirded with big prayers prayed before God. When you look at church history beyond the book of Acts, you see that there were great movements of God that were always preceded by men and women desperate for God to do a great work. Back in the 60s and 70s, uh, there was what they called the Jesus Movement, began in Southern California. And there was incredible pastors that had been raised up. Some of them are still leading churches and doing uh, evangelistic crusades across the country. 
Some of the biggest churches are being led by pastors that got saved during that time. But what, what you don't read about or see is that that whole thing began by a broken-hearted mom that would just pull up at the beach and just weep before God as all of her, her sons and friends and all their pothead buddies in the 60s were getting high and loaded and just surfing all day. It was all born out of, Lord, you've got to move. And there we see this incredible revival that broke out. I don't know what, about you, but there's a lot of things that I want to see God do in my life. And yet, I don't know why prayer is such a struggle. How many of you guys struggle? Like, you, maybe you're afraid to even say, my New Year's resolution is to seek God more on a regular basis. And you're like, it's kind of like, I want to go to the gym on a more regular basis. It's kind of like, it's in that same category. And you know it's just not going to happen. So you just stopped kind of like making that a, a you know, sort of a, a, a goal, if you would. Prayer is a struggle for people. It's a struggle for me as a pastor. I get to schedule my own life out. I know other pastors who struggle with their prayer life. When I go to pastor gatherings and meetings, if I want to humble the room and say, hey, how's everyone's personal relationship with Jesus going? It's like, well, I've got a building campaign in the middle, you know what I mean? It's like, I don't go to those meetings because I don't want someone to say that about me. I think that people have a, a struggle. We struggle with having a regular, consistent life of prayer that is fervent, that is earnest, that is seeking after God, is that we live in a world of self-sufficiency, something I alluded to earlier, right? That idea that, well, I can handle that. I can actually make that happen. We're so self-sufficient in, in the 21st century that we, we, um, we almost view prayer as sort of like a spare tire. You know what I mean? Like, oh, crud, I got a flat tire in my life. I need to go to the Lord. I need to pray. I need to ask him, right? Nothing else is working. Uh, some of your football teams might, you know, the only, the only chance they have is a sort of a Hail Mary, you know what I mean, in the end zone. It's almost like we view prayer like that. Like, man, has it come to that? I guess we should pray. And you say, Lord, I'm just hoping for a divine intervention, right? That's the way some of us view prayer. We go from crisis to crisis this, we, this way. But in between, we kind of have the attitude, God, I've got this. I can handle this. That's not a way to live our lives. That's not, that's not, um, that's not going to see the kinds of things that God perhaps would like to do in our lives and through our lives and for our lives simply because we just fail to have this consistent, expectant, fervent coming before the Lord in prayer and seeing results. I've got the excuses. You might have some that are like this. I'm too busy. I've got a lot going on. How many of you guys get that notification on your phones now that tells you what a dirty rat we are and how much time we spend on our phones? Do you have that? It's like, I got enough people judging me. Now my phone that I'm paying for is judging me? Like, hey, by the way, you know you picked me up 375 times a day. You know what I mean? It's like, hey, it's noon. Are you okay? Do you want to go to work? Do you want to stop looking at Instagram? Do you have a phone that's like that? It's like, I paid 30 bucks a month to have this kind of judgment? No, thank you. Notifications off. I don't feel bad about my life. Oh, I'm so busy. I'm so busy. You know, another real, very real one is that we don't know what to pray for. We're going to talk about that next Sunday. What are, the sort of, what are the things that need to be included in our conversations with God? What does Scripture tell us about the kinds of things we should be talking to God about? Confession and praise and thanksgiving and requests that we would bring before him. I think that sometimes we don't know what to pray. 
I think that another one is it takes effort. You know, the, um, the, the way to become a disciple, a follower of Jesus, uh, is, to, is to start practicing what we call spiritual disciplines in our life, right? A spiritual discipline would be prayer or spending time in God's Word or, you know, or, or um, pushing off, you know, the, the things where your flesh wants to sort of take control of your life, being disciplined and saying no, having self-control in your life. These are spiritual disciplines. There's effort in prayer. There's effort that it takes on our part. It's a, it's a rewarded effort, but it still is effort. I think another reason why is we just, sometimes we just don't believe anymore. It's like we know prayer changes things, but we think that that's only a promise for other people. Some of you have had, have had moments where you've prayed about something, and you've prayed about it, and you've prayed about it, and it feels like that the heavens are silent. You know what I mean? Like there's a stone wall before, uh, before you, and that, and that God is just not hearing. And so you sort of get discouraged that God isn't listening, God isn't answering. And yet the Bible and the testimony of Christians the last 2,000 years is that God moves in answer to prayer, fervent, believing prayer. I was thinking about 2020. And I was excited about the kinds of, I guess, sort of God stories that we haven't heard yet in 2020. It's the first Sunday of the year. We really haven't heard the answers to our prayer nights, the prayer night that's coming up. You have a, a little area you could fill it out. You can go on our app. You can also go on our website and jot down prayer requests. I love to see those cards when we go. And by the way, you're all invited. It's not a weird kind of like weirdo prayer meeting. You know what I mean? Where it's like, it's like, I don't know what you're supposed to do. We literally, we sing some worship songs, and then we turn some worship on, and we walk around, and we pick up somebody's request, and we pray fervently that God would meet that need. I love, we began last year in January, I love seeing that we would sometimes get an answer, hey, thank you for praying, God has moved in this, in this way. We've seen people get saved, we've seen marriages sort of come back together, and some work on reconciliation. What a great thing that God can do, and I can't wait to hear what you're trusting God to do in your life. Some of your kids are going to turn back to Jesus this year. Can I get an amen? Some of the hearts that you know and love and care about are going to be mended and restored. There's some that aren't here this morning who have stiff-armed God that we're going to see a part of our next year's Christmas service in here walking with Jesus, serving the Lord. I can't wait to see who God saves this year as we intercede on their behalf. You know, you might not, never know the role you play in praying for another person. I'll never forget a moment that I got inspired, I guess, again, of just seeing how God moves in answer to prayer. It was uh, 1994, or 95, 1995, and uh, I was a toddler. No, I wasn't. I was 25 years old. And, and there I was, just checking to see if you're still with me, and if you know math, okay? And uh, and, and, I, and I graduated from Bible college, and I was working at a church that was a part of a denomination that just didn't fit me. But one of the pastors there, he was a part of a, a, a you know, kind of an organization that had a sort of an umbrella for ministries that I was a part of, like Fellowship of Christian Athletes. I was uh, uh, on staff with them. And so I got ordained through this organization, and, uh, but they had a little ceremony at People's Church on a Sunday night, and there I got ordained, and they prayed over me. Doug Hulk was a part of the uh, a part of that group that oversaw my ordination. And I'll never forget afterward going out into the foyer in my suit. Thank God. Thank God things have changed for me for the better. And uh, suit and tie, right? And, um, and I'll never forget this strange lady came up to me and she said, 
like, wow, what a great thing to see you, you know, today going into ministry. I remember holding you the day you were born and praying over your life that God would shield you and protect you from sort of the chaos that I was born into. Some of you know my story. My dad left my mom for another lady prior to me being born. So here's this single mom of an 11-year-old boy, an 8-year-old boy, a 6-year-old boy, and then a baby Messiah, me, into the family. (laughs) And I'll never forget, looking at her, I'm like, okay, this is either incredibly awesome or the security is terrible here at People's Church. And I'm like, like, how do you even know me? She said, I taught school with your mom, and I knew the chaos that was around the life that you were being born into. And I went to the hospital, and they held you the day you were born and prayed over you. And at that moment, I'm like, is there some way that God used this faith-filled, this fervent prayer of this lady that brought about the kind of work that God did in my life, protecting my life, bringing me to the place where I would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ as a teenager in high school? Isn't that amazing what God can do even when you don't even see it happening? God is at work. I wonder what we leave on the table, so to speak, with God. I wonder if there's a work that God wanted to do in 2019 in your life, my life, in our church, that we simply left on the table because we failed to meet God at his promise, and he says, those who seek me with their whole heart will be found by me. Those who fervently pray the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. This isn't a hocus-pocusy thing like, hey, so we're going to start an academy to pray better. That's not what this is about. This is about a, a Christian, whatever, whatever part of the journey you are with God Where your life is in a place, God, I'm walking with you. Things are right in my life. I'm confessing my sin before you. But God, there are some things I want to see you do in and through my life or in the people that I love's life. And God, I can't make it happen. I need you to intervene. I wonder how many many miraculous kind of moments, God's stories that we would see if you and I would have this ability to go, God, I want to fervently pray that you move. Here's some, here's some lessons, if you would, on fervent praying. First, we have to believe, number one, that fervent prayer is powerful. James told us that. James told us that it was powerful as it is working. He says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Change comes. It's effective fervent prayer is. Another way of saying it is the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power, produces wonderful results. He tells us earlier in verse 13 through 15 that those who suffer, that God would meet their needs when they prayed. He said that those who are sick or weak, that as people prayed for them, that God would raise them up and restore them. It certainly isn't a promise of physical healing that is guaranteed in the gospel. This person that was sick, there could have been also spiritual components. That's why he said that they would be, if they've sinned, that they would be forgiven. The idea, though, is he's saying, guys, whatever your issue is, the answer is always prayer. 
I would love to see the solution to my problems as always being prayer rather than prayer being sort of a, um, you know, like a, oh, effort. Oh my gosh, it's going to be so much work. But it's a solution. Fervent prayer is powerful. The suffering, they're relieved. His advice to all of them was, take it to the Lord. And he mentions Elijah. Elijah prayed, he said, that it wouldn't rain for three and a half years. And that, and that shutting of, up of the heavens, it got the, the, um, the, the story behind it is in 1 Kings chapter 17 and 18. The nation was being led by Ahab and his wicked wife Jezebel that Ahab's mother warned him about, but he didn't take the warning. I'm just kidding. That wasn't in the Bible. But I'm sure that, you know, like, Jezebel? No, sorry. And the, the heavens were shut up, and it certainly got the attention of the nation. They had wandered so far from God. They were serving uh, the idols of the nations around them, and one particular Baal that they were serving and worshiping. Ahab and Jezebel led the nation in that worship. Elijah, <clears throat> about three and a half years in, challenged the priests of Baal. And he said, here's what we're going to do. Let's no longer waver back and forth with Who's, who's the real one and true God? Is it the God of Israel, Yahweh, who's revealed himself and his word and, and given us his law and opened the door for us to be a part and have this nation and this land and these great promises? But if, if Baal is God, then let's serve him. Let's just go for it, man. Fully serve him. And so what they did was have this kind of a challenge. It's like, you bring your stuff and, 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 and I'll bring my sacrifice and the God who answers with fire is the one true God. And so they were up first, the, the, the priests of Baal, and, and what they, you know, they were chanting and they were cutting themselves. This sound like a great religion. The, with lance and swords just cutting their chests open, crying out to God. And, 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 and they're trying to get their God to answer by fire, to you know, consume this, this offering. And Elijah's like, hey, maybe he went on vacation. And so they're crying out louder, just mocking them. He's like, maybe he's in the bathroom. Like he literally said, like, I think your God might be on the toilet. You might need to rattle the door and say, you got to hurry up. We need some fire. And after a time, they were exhausted. And it was at that moment, sort of the normal time that the Israelites would offer up an offering in the evening. And Elijah repaired the altar and he put a sacrifice that God would, would call the nation of Israel to sacrifice. And, he, and, he, and they dug a trench around it, and they just poured water. They just kept pouring water until water was coming out of the trenches. And then he prayed once. And fire fell from heaven and consumed that offering. And everybody in that moment knew that Yahweh was the one true God. That's powerful in that moment. Can you imagine that moment? as he prayed and fire consumed it. But the nation still needed rain. So Elijah tells us in, in 1 Kings chapter 18 that he fervently prayed, because fervent prayer is powerful, that he literally bent over with his head between his knees and he prayed and cried out to God. God said, I want to send rain. That was a promise that he was holding on to. Like, God, you're, you promised you're going to send rain. And so I'm going to pray that you would send that rain now. First time he prayed, he sent his little helper and said, hey, go see if there's any clouds forming. Nothing. He prayed again. He prayed again. Seven times he prayed. 
the servant came back and said, hey man, I just saw like a tiny little cloud that was like the size of a hand. And Elijah's like, I'll take it. And that day, the heavens poured out rain that brought about the sustenance for the nation of Israel to survive because of this fervent prayer. Powerful. It's this idea of, Lord, only you can bring about victory. And God does bring about victory. I heard a great quote. Those who travail in prayer, they will triumph in life to put forth effort. And you find that victory comes. It, it might not be healing. You know, I love, the, I love the request, you know, the prayer for God to give us some wisdom and answers and such. I love how travailing in prayer, fervent prayer, it gives doctors some new wisdom to try something new out on somebody. You know what I mean? You might not get the healing, but what you might find is you get led to the right kind of treatment that brings about health and restoration in your life. It's like, man, you went to doctor school to do this and you didn't know? And the Lord had to like open the door to say, get a new doctor? Sometimes that's the way it goes, right? You might not even need to pray about that one, right? It just might be right there on the, on the uh, writing on the wall. But God moves when nothing else has worked. Here's something else about fervent prayer. Fervent prayer is, number two, it's sincere. It's sincere. We see that, that, um, that, that, that Elijah, he, he was serious, I guess you might say, with God, right? I've, I've been in prayer groups a lot of times, and a lot of times you'll listen to people praying, and you're going like, are you talking to God, or are you trying to say something to the dude across the room? You ever had that? And then you find yourself like, am I talking to God, or am I trying to like Sort of like a um, slip one in there, you know what I mean? Like, and Lord, just help the guy across the room understand that he needs to do this and this and this, you know what I mean? You just go like, wait a minute, who are we talking to? You know, like this passive-aggressive sort of like prayer meetings and stuff, and it's like, time out, like, let's stop, let's get serious, let's really talk to God. Fervent prayer is sincere. True prayer that is effective and powerful, it's not half-hearted. We've all prayed words, perhaps, that we thought we ought to say when we go before God, but our heart wasn't in it. It's almost like the challenge to have a fervent prayer life is to say, I can't be half-hearted or lukewarm in this. I can't ask God to care about something that I care very little about. You know what I mean? Just sort of like, say your prayer. Hulk Hogan told you, hey, take your vitamins and say your prayers, right? And you're just kind of like going, okay, I'm just going to say these words because I'm supposed to do this before I go to sleep. But fervent prayer, it's sincere. It's not half-hearted. It means that we're determined in our praying because we want God to answer. Here's what it literally reads. He prayed earnestly. Here's the literal translation. He prayed in his prayer. Prayer was this vocalization of words, right? But he was legitimately saying, God, I'm sincere in this prayer. And I think you and I know the difference. We know the difference when our heart's into something, a relationship. We certainly know the difference when our hearts are really into, God, I really want to see you come through. Many times we don't pray in our prayers. We say words that our hearts aren't into. In the same way Jesus challenged the church or the group of uh, Pharisees, he said, I Isaiah was right when he said this about you. You worship me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. Boy, that could be sometimes the time that we spend in prayer as well. Man, Lord, I, I want to be sincere. Fervent prayer 
It's sincere. It's not half-hearted. It's earnest. It's serious. It's God, I'm all in with you. I, I, there's a book that I, I read every couple years. It's a book called Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. And it's just a cool story about how God had, had raised up a great ministry in New York and, 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 and really impacted the entire world in, in some ways. And the author said something that just struck me. He said, God will manifest himself to us in direct proportion to our passion for him. And he cited a verse, Jeremiah 29, verse 13. We all know Jeremiah 29, 11, right? But verse 13 says, And you will seek me and you will find me when you seek with me with your whole heart. I think to, to head into 2020, God, I want to be a, a man, a woman who is fervently praying about you moving in my life and in the people's lives that I love. Is that we know that it's powerful but it's got to be sincere. Here's something else, number three. Fervent prayer is persistent. Elijah prayed, prayed once for the um, fire, but then he continued to pray over and over and over again. Jesus prayed over and over again in the, in the uh, Garden of Gethsemane when he prayed that the Lord would remove the cup, which it was God's will for him to go to the cross. But three times he prayed. Paul prayed three times that God would take the thorn that was in his flesh, some sort of ailment that actually he felt like was a hindrance, and God says it's there because it's going to keep you humble, and my power is made perfect in weakness. But fervent prayer, it doesn't stop. It doesn't quit. We continue to go. Persistent. Seven times he prayed for the cloud to appear. It means that you and I don't stop praying until God moves. Have you heard the acronym PUSH? It's not from Salt and Pepper. All-girl rap band. It, PUSH. Pray until something happens. This might be the only church that salt and pepper was refer, referred to on the first Sunday of 2020. Please forgive me. Come back next week. I promise it'll get better. Pray until something happens. Jesus told the, the disciples this in Matthew 7. He said, keep on asking and you will receive when you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. Everyone who knocks the door will be open. When Jesus said, keep on asking, he used a form of, of a verb to ask and to seek and to knock, which was this present imperative verb. It means it's an ongoing action. How many times do you and I stop praying about something because we just don't see any movement? We don't see the needle moving just yet. And we're like, you know what? Maybe it's not, God's not into this. No, fervent prayer, it's powerful, it's sincere, but it's also persistent. In Genesis chapter 25, we read that Isaac meets a young lady, Rebecca, and she becomes his wife. She was barren, unable to have children. It's very important to the story of the gospel because it's through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, this unborn son, that the Messiah is promised to come through. So it's kind of a big deal that Isaac's wife would get pregnant. And it says in Genesis 25 that he entreated the Lord on her behalf, and she conceived. He started praying when he was 40. She bore twins when he was, guess how old? 60. You think that Isaac is like, I feel like you might have missed it, Lord. Not only did you give me twins, but now I'm 60 and I got to raise them. You know what I mean? 
I don't know what 42 did he say. It's not going to happen, Rebecca. 50? 55? 59? At what point have you stopped praying about something because you just don't see any movement? You've sort of given up. You've sort of like created a scenario, well, I can see why God wouldn't do this and God wouldn't want this to happen. Until the Lord says, stop praying about this, I'm not going to do this in your life. You continue to pray with effort. You continue to trust God. Too many times we fail to get what God promises because we give up and we stop praying. What is something right now in your life that you have given up praying about? Is it a child who seems so far from coming to Jesus? I know a lady, one of my friend's grandfather, uh, that wasn't the lady. <laughs> His grandmother's a lady. She was married to this man 50 years before he surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. 50 years praying for grandpa. All his grandkids came to know Jesus. And all their children did as well. A few of them became pastors and missionaries. And then finally, that stubborn old man, <laughs> like finally surrendered. Can you imagine the joy of seeing grandpa coming to Jesus? Is it a relationship to be restored? Too much time's gone by. I don't think God can do that. Is it a heart that needs to be mended? Is it healing that you or a loved one needs? Is it a door to be opened? Another example of fervent prayer is Hannah, we see in the, in the Old Testament. She was barren as well, and she prayed year after year, God, give me a son. Her, her dumb husband was so dumb. We're going to do a marriage series this year so that you and I, husbands, don't say dumb things to our wives. He says, hey, am I not worth 10 sons? He's like, no, no, you're not. No, go away. Go away. So we're going to talk about dumb things to not say as husbands in that series. But the Lord got her heart in the right spot. And then she did. She said, Lord, if you give me a son, I'm going to give him back to you. He became one of the greatest prophets and leaders in the nation of Israel at a time when there was such corruption going on with the leaders of that nation. Samuel was his name. And we dedicate children sort of almost in the same way she did. She brought him to the temple and she said, uh, brought him to the tabernacle and said, for this child, I prayed. She travailed in prayer and she didn't give up. It's persistent. Here's something else that we read about fervent prayer. Number four is this. Fervent prayer is for the ordinary people. Elijah was a human like us. He wasn't perfect. You know, after that fire came down kind of moment, do you feel like you'd sort of be like, hey, you know, I'm feeling pretty good about my spiritual life right now. Fire just came down. Rain just showed up. Three and a half years. You shut the heavens up, and now you prayed, and rain just drops. You know what I mean? And then Ahab went back and told Jezebel all that happened and said, like, oh my gosh, like it was crazy. You should have seen it. Fire. It's like Stephen Spielberg almost. You know what I mean? And then, and then all of a sudden, you know, She's like, you know what? He's going to be dead by nightfall. You know what I mean? It was like, I'm going to meet him at the OK Corral, and I'm going to shoot him up. He got so scared, he ran for his life. He asked God to let him die. You went from fire falling from heaven and rain showing up three and a half years later to, Lord, I want to die. Angel's like, shows up where he's all pouting and saying, have a muffin and go back to sleep. Take a nap. Wake up again. Like, come on, dude. Seriously? You ever get like that? You leave church, it's like, oh, I'm fired up. I'm going to see a victory. You know what I mean? 
You see that all week long, singing, you know, in your heart, and, you're, and all of a sudden, like, something bad goes down, like, oh, it's going to be a terrible year. I can't believe it. Fervent prayer is for ordinary people, the righteous ones, he says. That means those who are obedient to the Lord and trusting in Him. It's not for the spiritual ninjas. By prayer, he stopped the heavens for rain, judgment on the nation from their disobedience. He prayed again three and a half years later, and God sent rain. The point of using this powerful example is so that you and I would know that you too can have power in your prayer life, because if Elijah did, so can you. That's the idea. James lets us know that. We shouldn't think that we'll never have that kind of experience, power in prayer. Elijah was an ordinary man, it's been said, who prayed to an extraordinary God who answered his prayer of faith. Here's the last thing that we see about fervent prayer life. Is that it's expectant. And the prayer of faith will raise him up. It's in faith. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. He prayed in faith. He believed God and his promise. There's a story of a man that came to Jesus and said, Jesus, my son is tormented by demons, and I came to your disciples, and they couldn't do anything about it. And he says, but if it's possible, could you do something about it? He says, if it's possible, all things are possible to the one who believes. And the man confessed. He said, Lord, I believe. But he knew enough about his own heart. He says, Lord, but Lord, help my unbelief. Do you have that? Maybe you're in that spot right now. You're just like, Lord, I want to have a fervent life of prayer and it's by faith, and it's expectant, but man, I got a lot of doubts in my heart. You know how your faith gets increased? By daily saying, God, I'm going to trust you, and by spending time in his word. You open your Bible, you read what God says and authorizes for your life, and you say, Lord, I'd like that to happen in my life. God, I'd like to see that take place in my life. God's word increases our faith, so does exercising it. Lord, I'm going to trust you with this. I'm going to pray fervently for it and about it. God told him he would send rain. Elijah prayed with that promise in mind. We find so many promises in God's word. We see God's heart. We see his desire that he wants to do in our lives or wants to be a part of our lives. What he wants to accomplish, something we read last week. God wants you to have a strength that comes supernaturally so that you can stand against the struggles of this life. Believing prayer offered is connected to what we find in God's word. How about this promise? God desires that all people would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Who's, who's a person that you're going to pray fervently for in 2020 that doesn't know Jesus this morning? Someone today that you say, Lord, they don't know you. They're not walking with you. And I want to see them come to know Jesus. Do you guys have somebody in your mind right now that's like, boy, that would be like my, my top of my list, that person to come to know Jesus. Raise your hand up. You have somebody like that. What, how, how powerful would it be that if you have that person, you say, Lord, every day I'm going to pray for them to come to know you. Every day I'm going to pray that their life gets more and more miserable until they surrender to you. <laughs> Y'all want me to turn the heat up more? He said, tell me. They, you wanna, I've never met a person that regretted coming to Jesus two weeks earlier than they thought about it. Like, oh, you know what? I was thinking about serving Jesus, but I'm going to wait till 2025. Well, let's just see how the next five years goes for you. How about that? If you have a person, you've got to diligently pray for them. Fervent prayer. It's powerful, it's sincere, it's persistent. It's for normal people like us, and it's expectant. A fervent life 
of prayer. God invites you and I to come before him consistently, expectantly. And in 2020, I want making, knowing Jesus to be our priority and fervently praying about the sort of things that God wants to do in and through and for our lives. It's a learned behavior. My encouragement to you this week, if you don't currently pray, how many are married right now? Just raise your hand. This is not a trick question. Just raise your hand. You're married. If you don't currently pray with your spouse on a consistent, regular basis, break through the weird, awkward moments and say, we haven't done this for 27 years. We should start doing it now, okay? And just start praying together. I would love for you to, to use our prayer like groups that we have, these lighted tables over here. We have people here every single week ready to pray in for and with you. The worst thing in the world is that you show up with a problem and is anyone sick among you? But no, I don't want to ask anyone to pray for me. I'd like to continue in my misery when I go home and spend this week. Go pray. I'd love to see your parking lot filled with people who are talking and what's going on in your life. Oh, I have an interview this week. Hey, you know what? Let's pray about it right now. And then I want to encourage you to set aside five or 10 minutes. I've read books. Hey, don't mind my buddy over here getting ready to do a, a guitar solo for us. <laughs> Tim, I think I, I called you out too soon. My bad. Next week, we're going to get this down. <laughs> Is it, don't make a challenge. I'm going to pray an hour a day because you won't and you'll feel discouraged. But every one of you has five or 10 minutes. Set aside Five or ten minutes. Find a place where you're going to meet with God. Pick a time you're going to meet with God and bring your real self to God. He already knows who you are. Don't say, Lord, uh, I'm not sure what I should say, but here's these big lofty words I'm going to say right now. Listen, leave the these and the thous to your grandparents or your great-grandparents and just get real with God. God, I don't believe you like I should, but I'd love to see you do great things in my life, in my marriage, in my family this year. God, I don't believe that my child would ever surrender to you. I'm just going to tell you that's what I think right now. But some, somewhere deep down inside, I know that your word says otherwise. So I'm going to continue to pray and meet with God. And if you don't know Jesus Christ today, you don't have this kind of relationship that you get invited to, that all of us get invited to, I can't think of a better time than the very first Sunday of the year to say, God, I want to surrender to you. I want to submit my heart to you. I want to repent of my sin. All of us have broken God's laws. Every one of us deserves God's judgment. That's why there's a cross with a perfect Savior who bled and died and rose from the dead so that you and I could be restored into a right relationship with God. But that begins when you and I say, God, I'm ready to surrender my heart. I'm ready to confess to you that I'm a sinner and I'm ready to ask you to be the Lord and Savior of my life. If that's you this morning, man, I want to encourage you surrender today. Stop stiff-arming God and allow him be the Lord and Savior of your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love and your goodness. Thank you for the promises we find in your word, God, and for the ability to be able to share your word, God, on a Sunday morning, Sunday after Sunday, God, to open your word together with my friends, my family, uh, to, to look to you, God. And Lord, I want to point all of us to be expectant this year, hopeful this year. Lord, to be men and women that would learn what it means to be uh, fervent, fervent prayers, expectant prayers, hope-filled prayers. And Father, we want to see you do a work in us and through us. I want to see a work done for us. I want to see those who are suffering in our midst, God, or a part of this group, Lord, for you to bring restoration and healing. Lord, we want to see those broken hearts mended. Lord, we want to see those lost kids and grandkids 
surrender to you, Jesus. And Lord, we can't wait to see what you do this year, God, through answering these fervent prayers that we're going to bring before you.